I was uh, I was preaching in a in a fair sized church and was enjoying the worship and the praise and <clears throat> sitting on the front row and a young lady got up and she did communion and then she did the offering followed up with the offering and I I kind of zoned out a little bit you know as you don't do this morning but as people do and um, and I, so I've pulled my wallet out as she starts talking about the giving I've taken some money out and and just thinking not really listening and then next thing there's a lady standing in front of me with a receptacle and I put the cash in and I'd never had this happen in all my years in church she reached in took it out and gave it back to me I thought wow then I realized she was actually taking up the communion things and uh, <laughs> and I felt this red flush I don't embarrass easily but I felt this red flush go up my neck that's uh, a that's a crazy world we're bombarded by information and so much stuff these days sometimes I don't know about you but I feel like my mind's like an internet browser sometimes you got 17 windows are open and four are frozen and I don't know where the music's coming from if you ever had that experience <laughs> at least we don't have to wear masks that used to be like preaching to a bank robbers convention uh, <laughs> not that I'd ever done one but but uh but as the world, here's, here's the truth. As the world and our culture changes and rapidly changes, the church must change to engage the world with what is the changeless message of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The love of God for a broken humanity that is expressed through, through the life and the death and the resurrection we know of, of Jesus. And I think more than ever, we need again to see and experience divine encounters with the presence of God we don't want to just do church man I've been in so many church services during the course of my life and some of you who are of my era have likewise and could not count the number of sermons and messages I've heard and I'm so grateful for that but I don't want to just do church and people don't just need meetings people need a transforming encounter with the presence and the power of God and um and we know that's not just one-off things, but it is that, and we know it's discipleship and it's learning and growing and transformation. But I think we are on the edge, and it was interesting hearing Jeff's uh, word this morning, which I concur with. So you as a church are on the, the threshold, the beginnings of a new era, a new season, but I think and sense that the church, certainly in our nation, is. Three, four weeks ago, I was preaching in church in Brisbane, and and I felt God put a word on my heart during that week. And I walked in that morning and a stack of people praying. And when I preached that morning, God just moved. God turned up like I had not seen in years. And interestingly, in that next week, as I'm talking to numbers of pastors around the state and even in the country, uh, that was beginning to happen in places around the country. Suddenly, there's a manifestation and evidence of the presence of God. And I think we're on the edge of another new move, a fresh wave, a fresh move of God. So I want to talk this morning, just for these few minutes, about creating the atmosphere for the miraculous. And when I talk about the miraculous, the miraculous really, a miracle is, I think, could be defined as the, the intervention of God into the natural order of things. And we often think of miracles as just some creative miracle, somebody that couldn't walk, walks again, or whatever it might be. And that's true. And we could list a hundred, a thousand things that we could consider a miracle. But you know, the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of a transformed life. 
Because the greatest miracle of healing, whatever that might be, and I praise God for that and I'm believing for that and we will see more of that, but at best they're only temporary. Because, I don't want to sort of put a damper on it, but you're all going to die. <laughs> you're not getting out of here alive. I don't mean this morning. Okay, relax. Um, but ultimately, unless we are here when Jesus comes back, the truth is we're all going to face that moment and we're going to transition to the next, the next era of life. Hallelujah. Um, so the greatest miracle of all is that of a transformed life. So I want to talk about creating the atmosphere for the miraculous, for God to do great things. How many of you want God to do great things? Come on. There's this remarkable verse in Matthew. And it comes as a statement at the end of some commentary about what Jesus is doing. So there's four verses I want to read. And this one verse I want to get to, it's remarkable for all the wrong reasons. Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 to 58. Coming to his hometown, Nazareth, Jesus began teaching the people in the synagogue. They were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And aren't all, these, aren't all his sisters with us? And where, where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Wow. Wow. The offense culture is not totally new, by the way. Um, and Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many mighty miracles there because of their lack of faith or unbelief. The message says their hostile indifference. Well, the Passion Version says their unbelief kept him from doing many mighty miracles. You think about that, and, and that it's a remarkable verse. Can you just think for a moment this morning, if Jesus turned up here in physical person, in physical presence, we go, wow, I mean, I don't know about you, I'd, if he was here at the front, I'd be out here, Jesus touched me, whatever. But he, and that was the case, but he couldn't really do much. That, that's mind-boggling. Why? It was because of the atmosphere the people created. How many of you know that in life, um, atmosphere and environment, ambiance, is important? Um, if you want to have a romantic evening, here's a tip for any guys, it's not about turn the footy on and, you know, that's, that's probably not going to do it, Okay. So you create an atmosphere for whatever it is you want, a romantic evening, candlelight, soft music, whatever, you know. There's something about atmosphere. First time that really struck me was many years ago, my first trip to the United States, and I was in Los Angeles and went with a friend to a baseball game at Dodgers Stadium. I'd never, I, didn't, I love sport, but I'd never followed baseball, and I just went for the experience. But the atmosphere was unbelievable. Like the end of, if you've ever been to a baseball game in the States, the end of every innings, you know, 
you know, the organ plays, and it's just unbelievable. And, people, and I knew the atmosphere had got, gotten to me. It was contagious. When at half time, the break, I'm standing with everybody else, and my hand on my heart singing, God bless America. Because <laughs> Dallas is happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> That atmosphere was contagious. There's something about atmosphere, my friends. It was atmosphere created that prevented Jesus from doing any great thing in Nazareth. Great miracles rarely just happen. There are numbers of factors that play a part, I think, in putting people in what we could maybe call the miracle zone. Have I broken another camera? Uh, okay. <laughs> so how can we create the right atmosphere that's conducive to God doing great things in us and through us and in our midst? See, in this incident in Nazareth, it was, the Bible tells us it was their unbelief, their lack of faith that stopped Jesus from doing what he wanted to do, would have loved to do. We know from a study of Scripture, Old and New Testament, that faith is the key to the miraculous. So what does faith look like? Well, I, I could preach, and I have over the years, I've preached series of messages on different aspects of what faith looks like. So we'll get out of here about 6 p.m. Um, now, there's many points we could make, but I was recently... Just And for the sake of time and brevity this morning, I've distilled it down to just two simple aspects, two simple elements that are an intrinsic part of faith and therefore help create the atmosphere that's conducive to God moving. And they are these two simple things. And I was going to initially do, you know, point one and then point two. But these two elements are so, so intertwined, you can't really separate them. But the two, these two elements are simply this attitude and action. And I want to just talk about that. They're so intrinsically related. And the action taken is evidence of the attitude. And you see these two dynamics working together to create the atmosphere very often, right through Scripture, whenever a miracle occurs. So in this incident with Jesus, it's interesting, there's one evident attitude that is so clear here, and it's described as unbelief, a lack of faith. So, but what did, what did that look like? What, what does unbelief look like? It's interesting, that I love that passion, uh, message translation says hostile indifference which is interesting but if you read those verses I think it looked like familiarity their unbelief looked like familiarity you read those verses the couple of verses prior to that statement that he couldn't do any great thing there and they're going isn't this just Jesus isn't this Mary's son isn't this the carpenter's boy, isn't this just the brother of, isn't it? There was just a familiarity. And with famili familiarity, what happens in our lives in any context is that familiarity locks, if it's about a person, it locks them into a box. 
because we're so familiar. It also robs us of gratitude and appreciation. And how many of you know that's a key? So when we become familiar, and sometimes in life, even the people in our families, and our, maybe our spouse, our, whoever it might be, we become familiar and we, we lose appreciation. We lose gratitude. We just put people in a box. And what happened with the people in Nazareth in the synagogue, and again, you've got to realize, as Jesus said, prophet is not without honor, but in his own house. And I want to suggest to you that sometimes that Jesus is without honor in his own house because we become so familiar with who we think he is. And that's what familiarity is. We think we know him. We think we know God. We have God worked out. No, we don't. The, the, the longer I go on this journey, the more I discover, the less I know, particularly about God. He's a whole lot bigger than I thought. When I was younger, it was so, so, it was so simple. So anyways, that's another whole topic. But anyway, but in terms of God, I've discovered that God's a whole lot bigger than I thought. And the truth is that if you could fully comprehend and understand him and work him out and in your little brain, no insult intended, then you could be God. Because if you could fully comprehend him, you could be him. But you can't and I can't. And I want to say to you this morning, he's bigger than our preconceived ideas. See, we often think, oh, this is how God does it. This is how God moves. This is how church is. This is how we should, you know, take the gospel to people. We could describe a whole lot of areas of expression of Christian faith and life and think we know it. Simply because it's happened before. No, God's bigger than any, than any formula. We like formulas because it's predictable. But I want to sense, say to you this morning, suggest to you this morning that in this era ahead, in this time coming, it will be, and as Jeff said this morning, um, it'll be different. Get ready for the different. You think you know, you th don't become familiar. Because that can rob you of the manifestation of the power of God. Familiarity. I've been guilty of it. Because I've grown up in this thing. I've seen moves of God. I, I know how, this is how you should pray. For, and again, there's certain things it's good to understand. But the moment we begin to box God in, even in terms of people coming to faith and coming to Christ and their discipleship journey, my views have changed somewhat. I don't have time to really explore that with you this morning. But, um, but just there's so many areas where I think, wow. God works so individually in people's lives. If we were to take time to go around, everybody here has got a story this morning. And it's been somewhat different because all our journeys are different. But don't become familiar with the presence of God. Don't become familiar in your expectation of how he will move, of how he will do stuff. Because sometimes our preconceived ideas actually stop him from moving. And that's what happened to the people in Nazareth. 
They had preconceived ideas about who Jesus was and they'd boxed him in. Sometimes our, we flatline on our knowledge of God. You know, hey, been around a while, been a Christian a while, we've done, studied this, we've done that, we've, you know, yeah, we've, we've pretty well got it nailed. <laughs> no, no, we haven't. How many of you remember the TV show? There was a couple of versions of it over years. When I was a, a young kid, I remember this TV show called The Invisible Man. I used to be, I used to love that show. It was somehow there was something intriguing about this guy that could become invisible. And um, things, here's the truth. Things that you cannot see have great effect upon your life every day. We are affected by the invisible. The interesting thing about Western thinking is that whilst we, we may say often, I believe it when I see it, that, that, which does characterize a lot of Western thinking, we actually really do believe in the invisible. How many of you have got a remote control at home? <laughs> remember, some of you are old enough to remember the days when a remote control was asking your wife to get up off the lounge and change the channel. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Just checking you're awake. <laughs> the invisible. How amazing is it we don't have to trip over wires and cables anymore. Amazing. It's invisible. Radio, TV, our mobile phones, Bluetooth, which is not a dental condition for those of you concerned. In fact, right now, you are sustained by that which is invisible. You are breathing air. Amazing. The reason you are not bouncing off the ceiling right now is because of another invisible force that's acting upon your body called gravity. So all around you, there are these things, there are these forces there are these powers that are invisible that affect you every moment of your life. And for the most part, you can't see them, you can't smell them, you can't hear them, you can't touch them. Yet they have profound effect upon our lives. So, and I don't have to tell you because you're here this morning, but we don't, by the way, necessarily have to understand all the technical skills. All the, all the technical knowledge about all of those things and how it works. I don't have to understand how this works to enjoy the benefit of it. But it's real. I want to tell you this morning there is another invisible realm that's greater than any of the invisibility we've talked about. And it's the presence of God. It's the spiritual realm. And has significant effect and impact and influence upon our lives. And for all the things, for all the powers, for all the forces we've mentioned, there's a realm, there's a power that's greater than any of these. Hallelujah. There's another dimension. There, there is another invisible realm, the spiritual. That power is in this house today, the presence of God. It's not, it's not just some, some kind of force. It's actually a person, the presence of God creator of the universe you ever stop to think about that again we get so familiar with God the God who created the universe 
presences himself in us and with us. Wow. So with the invisible, see, often a lot of the things we've talked about are invisible only to, it's only because of our limited seeing. So any of you in the medical world, for example? So when we see each other, we, we see each other as we are. But how many of you know the real you is more than, than just the physical? It's, it's the you inside. You're a spirit being. And that's, that's why even as we get older, we still feel 28. Except when I do that too much. No. <laughs> I'm 29. Um, but many years when I turned 50, many years ago when I turned 55, people would ask me, how old are you? I'd say 50 plus GST. Um, <laughs> now, anyway, we won't go any further. Um, but often we don't see stuff because of the limit of our ability to see. So if I go back to the medical realm, any of you have ever, ever had an X-ray or an MRI? And suddenly when you see with different eyes, with a different mechanism, you can see stuff that you couldn't see with the natural. It's amazing. An MRI shows inside what you can't see because you're seeing with different vision. And sometimes we become so trapped into just seeing with our natural eyes. We need to take time fresh to tune into God so we can see with the spiritual. I love that story in the Old Testament of where the king of Syria, we won't take time to read it, 2 Kings um, chapter 6. The king of Syria sends this large army to capture Elisha. And um, when Elisha's servant gets up in the morning, he goes out and he sees an army, the Syrian army, on the hills around about where they are staying. And he talk about OMG, that's what he says. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> What shall we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet said. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I mean, the servant's got to be going, you kid, can you, can you see that? And Elisha prayed, I love this, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There's another realm. There's another realm. And that's what we want to tune into. You remember, like, TVs, TV sets these days. I had the privilege, because I grew up in Chinchilla. My dad ran an electrical business. We had the first TV in town. And um, <clears throat> back a long time ago. It was amazing, hey, people would stand in the street, because I remember my dad had them in the shop windows, black and white TVs, and people would stand there, would gather around the shop window to watch the six o'clock news from DDQ10. That was one of the stations back in the day, Toowoomba. Um, but those earlier TVs, you would have to adjust the tuning knob. To tu now you just press the button, it automatically all happens. And we make the mistake of thinking that applies in the spiritual world as well. It doesn't. 
you actually need to take time to tune in. To tune in. See, the, the signal is there all the time. The signal is there all the time, but you've got to actually tune in. The receiver has got to be aligned with what's being broadcast. And very often, the receiver, our hearts, is not aligned with what God is broadcasting because we're so, we're so crowded out with so many other signals. It's very interesting, you know, in, um, <coughs> excuse me, in the story of Elijah, when Elijah runs, many of you will remember, has the encounter with Jezebel, he flees into the desert, he wants to die, he goes and hides in a cave, God calls him out of his cave, and he comes to the mouth of the cave and, and God passes by. There's incredible wind and fire and earthquake and God was in none of those. And then there was, the Bible says, we read it, there was a still small voice. It's interesting in the original Hebrew, those words actually means the thin silence. The thin silence. And for me, it just comes up when I discovered that a few years ago, discovered up that the imagery of you tune in the radio band, you know, the little thin band, and you got clarity. It's like that thin, and sometimes to tune into God, you take time, the thin silence. To still all the other voices. You want to create the atmosphere, the conditions for God to turn up. Let me, let me just in finishing, this will be the last opportunity I get to use this line. I used it yesterday as a visiting preacher. You get three finishes. That's my first. By the way, you know, with the invisible in the natural, we don't sit there with our remote control going, oh, I hope it works. I hope it works. Oh, my goodness. Come on. When you pick up your mobile phone, you know, oh, come on, Optus, come... No, actually, sometimes, maybe. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a confidence. There's just a rest in the fact that this works. So, with the right attitude, we can create the atmosphere for God to do great things. Part of that, so let me just give you a couple of final points here. All of God's miracles have one thing in common. They all start with a problem or a need. So the good news about that is that if you have a need, if you have a problem, you are already a contender for a miracle. Hallelujah. Wow. Because every miracle starts with a need or a problem. And very simply, one of the things we sometimes struggle to do is acknowledge our need. It's not cool to admit that we're broken. It's not cool to admit that we're feeling weak. It's not cool to admit whatever. And yet that's the starting point. That's, it's called humility. And again, you know, you want to talk about creating the atmosphere that God responds to. The Bible says that God resists the proud that gives grace to the humble. And humility, one of the aspects of humility is the acknowledgement of our own weakness, our own failing, our own inability. 
humility. Eh? It's a funny thing. How many of you have ever been in an embarrassing situation? I remember one day, and there's been many during my life, um, I remember one day meeting with a pastor at, on the Gold Coast at Australia Fair, and where he's an older pastor, a lovely man. And this is about 15 years ago, and we had lunch. We met in the eatery at Australia Fair at Southport. It's crowded, it's busy. We, we, we grab a table and take turns to go and get some food, and then we sit down, and, and before I've kind of got realize it like we said we gave thanks and he prayed and he reached across the table and grabbed both my hands now if it was a 10 second grace I could live with that <laughs> but as an Aussie male with another man sitting across the table holding my hands and I kid you not he prayed for the missionaries all around the world it was one of the longest graces I've ever encountered. And people are walking past going, <laughs> as like I'm sitting there going. No, I, I didn't, but embarrassing moments. But embarrassment's an interesting thing because we feel somewhat humbled or humiliated. And it's a fine line sometimes. Um, remember many years ago, I used to, speak when Teen Challenge was based in Brisbane I used to speak at the chapel service and uh, regularly and one morning I had um, hello <laughs> one morning I it was early morning I'd gotten out of bed it was winter and I had two pair of this was back this was back in the 80s I had two pair of shoes that were identical in style one was navy blue one was tan so it's dark I sit on the edge of the bed reach under in the dark, pull my shoes on, I go and do the thing and then after, it was back when the days when, back when Pastor Charles Ringmer was the founder of Teen Challenge and Charles is talking to me after and he says, uh, do you know you've got different shoes on? <laughs> and to my utter horror I looked down, I've got one tan and one dark blue shoe on. <laughs> like it's too late, it's all over, hey. Self-consciousness is a, an interesting thing. And it's one of the reasons why we, we, don't often, we don't often maybe want to admit our weakness or our failing or we, we don't want to feel belittled. And that's understandable. Um, if I were to ask you, it's interesting. If I were to ask you to come out here this morning and stand on one leg and one hand in the air and sing a nursery rhyme, and do a little twirl. Now, I don't think I would be rushed by contenders. But if I said 50 bucks for someone who's willing to do that, now I'm not doing that, okay? <laughs> now, there, I guarantee there would be people who for 50 bucks would come and do it. There would still be some of you who'd go, no. But if I said $1,000, I reckon there'd be a lot of people on the old call twirling and standing, singing as you wrote. Interesting, hey? Because you're willing, there's a certain level at which you're willing to humble yourself for the reward. Now, I don't have time, I've actually done that. I've illustrated, I've not given a thousand dollars, by the way, but I, I've had people do it for 50 bucks. So, let me... This is my third finish. 
So to illustrate this point, there's a story in Mark 3 where Jesus goes, says he goes in the synagogue, there was a man there with a crippled or a shriveled hand. Some of them, the, the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. How, how tragic when we become so legalistic that they, they, were, they accused Jesus of healing someone on the Sabbath. Oh my goodness. And Jesus, <laughs> this gets me, they watch him, so Jesus is aware of it. And Jesus says to the man with a crippled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Oh, great. Thank you, Jesus. Just what I needed to be pointed out, to be the center of attention. And then Jesus makes the point about, you know, doing good on the Sabbath, etc., etc. And and the, the man is like, he's the one being used as the illustration. How would you feel? Jesus looked around at them in anger and distress, their stubborn hearts, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Oh, Jesus. As if it's not enough that you make me stand up and I'm the focus of attention and embarrassed to read. Now you tell me to stretch out my crippled hand. That's the last thing I want to do. Because we want to hide our weaknesses. We want to hide our shortcomings because we know we know what happens. The man stretches out his hand and he is instantly made whole. Weaknesses are a reminder of our dependence on God. And Paul says, you know, my grace, he quotes, he says, my, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness and Paul says therefore I'll more gladly boast about my weaknesses it's in our weaknesses that we most clearly experience God's strength here's something to know God doesn't necessarily always change the circumstances sometimes he changes things inside of us either way it's a miracle how many of you ever had unanswered prayers and yet on the journey God does if we make the right responses God does incredible transformative work in our own hearts and our lives so this morning I wonder if team just want to come back sometimes in church the band comes comes up while you're still preaching and you know that's the Nick Off music. <laughs> Remember when Sizzlers used to be around and they would come around after and, and they would give you mints. We used to call them the Nick Off mints because that was the signal, get out of here, we want more customers. No. Obviously, the man didn't want to put out his deformed hand for everyone to see. But that was the key. So two things attitude and action and and almost always through scripture you will find those two things evident again if you go back to the old testament story of naaman the syrian general who has leprosy he reaches out and acknowledges his need but then he has to do something and he's he initially resists he's told to dip 
in the Jordan River seven times. It took some convincing, but it was the, the attitude combined with the action that brought God's healing. So this morning, I want to encourage you. We stand on the era of a new threshold. I want to encourage you individually and, and as a church to press in. It's great you're having a, a month of prayer and fasting. And I think the thought, even Peter, Pastor Peter, of, of abstaining from coffee for a month is insanity. Uh, <laughs> I've had that, though. I remember many years ago going away for a week's prayer and fasting in early years of ministry. Back when we used to drink instant coffee. We call it coffee. Um, and uh, used to do a lot of visitation, pastoral visitation back in those days, so you'd have lots of cups of coffee. I went away for this week's prayer and fasting and got massive headaches. Actually went off coffee for two years and have limited my intake ever since. I only stop at 15 or 16 now. Uh, no. <laughs> no. I want to encourage you in your own life, create the atmosphere for the miraculous. Create the atmosphere for God to do something great. Mm-hmm.